Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Emmanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAG.com. The one of the reasons bad habits are so hard to break is because we're not always aware we're doing them. We're doing them without thinking about them, right? You know, you go, why do you go to the fridge and open it up and grab the, grab the Coke or the Pepsi when you should grab the water? It's just, you, you, you get it and you drink half the thing. He's like, I really didn't want this. I wanted water, You're spo- right? Or why do we, you know, use our tablets and our phones right before we go to sleep when every study comes out says that keeps you awake and ruins your sleep. But no, it's just a habit. It's like, here it is two o'clock in the morning and you're still reading news, you know? Why? You didn't even think about it. You just did it. So one of the first things to, to, to do to break a habit is to become aware that we're doing it. I've got a really cool Aristotle quote. Put that up there. It says, we are repeated, what, what we, we are what we repeatedly do. We are what we repeatedly do. Excellence then is not an act, but a habit. In other words, it's not one great one-off feat of, you know, victory. It's what you do consistently every day that makes you excellent. It's building habits that will take you there. You know, David didn't kill that giant. Um, when, David, when David killed the giant, he did kill the giant. I just said David didn't kill the giant, didn't I? No. <laughs> David killed the giant, but when he did, it wasn't the first thing he did. He killed the lion, he killed the bear, and he applied what he learned from killing the lions and the bears to, to the giants. And it wasn't the last giant he killed either. You read the rest of his story, he went on and killed a lot more giants, and so did his men. I mean, they were giant slayers. The, it got to the point where the Philistine giants, you know, started to fear them. You know, the, book, the story starts out that they're afraid of the giants, but then by the time it's done, they're, they've got the Philistines, they've made peace, and they secured their borders because they, they, they had a habit of these things that took them to a place of excellence. So just for fun, I looked up online some of the best habits some of the worst habits that we have in Americans, as Americans. All right, are you ready? Here we go. Okay, I'm, I'm going to start with the positive, okay? This is from a, a list of the top 10 best habits for success, okay? Number one is organization. Organization is a very good habit. This includes planning and setting priorities. See, this will be good because even if you don't get anything else today, you'll get some good, you know, um, uh, you know, life success advice here today, okay? Uh, planning and setting priorities. Um, it has to do with even having a to-do list for the next day, you know? Uh, know what you're going to do in the morning when you wake up. Back when I used to run, <laughs> used to run, um, I, I would wake up really early in the morning. I'd go out for, you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, 12-mile run, and uh, I knew that if I didn't have everything ready in the morning to go. So I would set out my shoes. I would set out the clothes I was going to wear. I knew where I was going to run. And when that alarm went off, I didn't think. I got out, jumped into. If I didn't do that, I'd lay there and think, where did I put my shoes? Snooze. (laughs) Where did I put my shirt? Snooze. And I would miss my opportunity for my run. I would plan what I was going to do the next day. And organized people know what they're going to do tomorrow. They know they have plans. They have strategies. Number two, organized or successful people, they relax. They make a habit out of relaxation. Now, some people make a habit, and that's all they do. (laughs) I mean, this is taken in with nine other good habits, right? Relaxation. What are you doing? I'm going to be successful through relaxation. That's my my new one thing I do. But 
No, uh, this is one I've actually had a hard time with, relaxing. But you know, it's a product of good organizing. It's a product of good planning. If you plan well, you can plan times for downtime. When I was trying to learn how to relax, uh, <laughs> I remember last year I um, went out on the um, patio and put a fire in the fire pit and said, I am going to sit here tonight and watch this fire burn down. <laughs> I am going to make myself, because there's a hundred things to do, I'm going to make myself watch this fire burn down tonight. I was making myself learn how to relax. And you know, as Christians, there are certain things that we're supposed to fight for and do and go after, right? But there are also things that we need to let go of and let God take care of. And you're worrying and fretting and thinking you're busy. You know, sometimes I get to a point where I feel like if I wasn't just going a hundred miles an hour and always busy, 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 that I was somehow irresponsible. But the responsible person is organized, plans their time, and can get the job done. I mean, come on, a, a company doesn't pay you just for a fury of activity. <laughs> a company pays you for what you can accomplish. So relaxation. Number three, um, taking action. Successful people take decisive action. Okay. In fact, it says it said in the article that successful people also act before they even feel ready to act. Well, that's a big one. Because they would rather take the risk of not having everything perfect than to miss the opportunity from inactivity. So uh, when they see an activity, they prepare as best as they can, but they don't get to the place where it's 100%. They'll start as they're on their way up. And sometimes you've got to step out before you feel like you're ready. Number four, um, a good habit for success is uh, personal care, which includes nutrition, exercise, and hygiene. I don't think I need to preach on that. That's pretty obvious, right? <laughs> Number five is a positive attitude. Come on, having a habit of a positive attitude. You know, your default mode is to be positive. That's a whole lot better than having your default mode to be negative, isn't it? You know, I think because of the news and the world and, and, and uh, um, just the way circumstances have gone, I think there's a, 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 a well, how do I want to say it? We are plagued with negative expectation today. You know what I'm saying? I mean, oh, the economy is going to go, it's going to crash. I'll never be able to afford a house on there. And, and we can get negative, but come on, we're child, children of God. God's working in the world. Whatever happens in this world, we're going to be okay. Let's start having some positive expectation, amen? So positive ad attitude, we need to develop a habit of that. Uh, number six, uh, successful people, they value networking. That's a, that's a habit that they've worked into their lives. Number seven is frugality, not necessarily stinginess, but actually being organized and planning with their money and their resources, doing things on purpose. Number eight, rising early, getting up early. Number nine, sharing. Ooh, okay, you know, okay, if you can get nine out of ten, that's all right. <laughs> number, number nine is giving, sharing. They're generous, they're giving people. And number ten is reading, because how else are you going? you got to expose yourself to new things. That's one area that, you know, um, if you don't do it on purpose, you kind of get into a rut, you know. Listen to some different uh, audio books or newscasts, you know, even hear the opposing view, even if it doesn't stress you out too much, you know. I yell back at the radio, but, um, but, but learn what's going on in the world. You know, read a book by an author you haven't thought of. Do things to expand your thinking. But you want to know what the bad habits are? No. <laughs> Maybe I just skip the bad habits. We don't really need to know the bad habits. No, okay, number one, you know, obvious things like smoking, drinking, excessive use of profanity, those came up on the list, right? This one, this one came about with the pandemic, too much screen time, <laughs> too much.
too much screen time is a habit that they said people are trying to break right now because, come on, everything we did in real life, now you do on screens, right? You know, meetings and everything. So people are trying to break the habit of that. Um, number three is uh, obsessive social networking. <laughs> obsessive social networking. When I read this, I kind of laughed because... Um, I remember back before we had smartphones and before we had Facebook and and Facebook and Instagram and WhatsApp and Twitter, we had email. And you would read articles about, are you an obsessive emailer? <laughs> because how many times do you check your email in a day? I mean, this is back in a time, you understand, when you had to go to the desktop computer that was plugged into the wall and actually open up the email and look at it. Are you an obsessive emailer? Man, who, who would have imagined what that trend could have become today, right? But uh, number four, not setting intention. In other words, being reactive rather than proactive. That's a bad habit. That would be the opposite of being organized, be the opposite of planning. Uh, number five, this is interesting, a bad habit is perfectionism. Perfectionism is a bad habit because a lot of times it's rooted in fear. Fear that you're not going to be good enough. Fear that it, you'll you'll be judged. And if you think about it, it's the it's the opposite of um, taking action even before you feel ready. Because if you wait until you you know you know you're ready, when are you ever going to step out and do it? Right? Um, perfectionism is related to number six, which is overthinking and worrying, and that leads to number seven, which is procrastination. <laughs> All these are the opposite of taking action. Um, number eight, bad habit. Uh, poor spending habits, which would be the opposite of frugality. Uh, was there a frugality? <laughs> frugality, yeah. would be the opposite of that. Number nine, poor personal care. They said oversleeping or undersleeping, poor nutrition, eating junk food, comfort eating, lack of exercise. Yeah, okay, it gets me. Um, and number 10, and, and I, I really didn't want to say this one, but it kept on showing up on the list. Number 10, biting your fingernails and picking your nose. <laughs> so I know some of y'all have been biting your fingernails and picking your nose, and you've not even been aware of it because it's been a habit, and you need to change. I'm just telling you right there. Helped you today. Amen. So, but anyway, it takes some effort to put good, build good habits into our lives. And it takes honestly, honesty to look at ourselves and to admit that I need to change. Because, you know... <laughs> If you want to know what your bad habits are, just ask your spouse because they know, <laughs> even if you don't, right? And, you know, it's especially true if we're walking with God that we're going to have to change some things about how we live. And the closer we walk with God, the more we'll change and be conformed into his image. In Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, here's what it says. God's speaking to the Israelites, and he says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as high as the heavens are higher than the earth, and so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. See, when you read that and you take that at face value, it kind of leaves you in a hopeless state. Because <laughs> who in the world can think the thoughts of God? Who in the world can know the ways of God? Yet somehow I'm supposed to think his thoughts and know his ways. This will require changing some of the things on my part, amen, to become like him. Because he's not going to come down. He's inviting me to come up. I'm going to have to change in areas I don't want to change in. 
I'm going to have to change in areas that I don't even know I'm doing, <laughs> areas I don't even know what I'm doing. But in order to experience his life, I need to go with him. Amen? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many, say many, who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. So my question is this, how can I be one of the few who walk that way to life? Back when I first began ministry many years ago, um, excuse me, I was blessed to be able to go to a lot of different conferences and seminars that, that uh, you know, just how to do ministry and different things. And um, the big phrase back then, and it probably still out there today, but the big thing back then was be culturally relevant. Culturally relevant. Everything we did, we were supposed to be culturally relevant. You know, and it's better to be culturally relevant than it is to be culturally irre- irrelevant, right? I mean, nobody wants to be irrelevant on purpose. But uh, I would look around at all the different cultures and subcultures that I was you know, either a part of myself or ministering to or touching in some way. And I got, I came to the conclusion, man, your culture is what's killing you. (laughs) You're following the culture, you're living the culture, and your culture is the very thing that's causing you to, to not even see God. Your culture is what's killing you. It says the gate is wide and broad. The what? The gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many Many who enter through it. You know, at some point, if we're going to go on with God, we're going to have to go against the culture, whatever culture. He's calling us to a life that's entirely different than what we've seen anywhere in the world. So you can follow your culture to destruction, or you can follow the narrow way that leads to life. A.W. Tozer said this. He said, there are times... There are times when, to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit in our life, we must walk alone, which goes contrary to our natural inclination. I mean, our natural inclination is, if I'm alone, i got to be wrong. Well, sometimes if you're alone, you are wrong, so you need to really pray and be careful about that. Just because you're, you know, different doesn't mean you're right. <laughs> That's not a guarantee. But sometimes if you're following God, you're going to have to go against the culture. Sometimes we must walk away from the crowd, even the Christian crowd. You know, a lot of things that that the church now accepts as truth were resisted by the church before they became truth. You know, you think back into, Jay could tell you all about the church history and the Reformation and the different revivals that have established truth. Well, somebody had to take a chance. I mean, when Martin Luther said, uh, this is how we worship God by, by faith, justification by faith. I mean, you you heard that message, you were faced with a choice. Do I keep going the old way or do I step into something new? And if we're going to go on with God and experience the things that he wants to do through your life and through my life, and we're truly disciples of him, we'll have to walk with God. Even if it means we have to walk alone at times. The truth is the gospel is relevant to all cultures. Because the gospel demands that all cultures submit (laughs) to the claims of God and the demands of the kingdom and bow their knee to the name of Jesus. Amen? See, culture, culture is not sacred. 
Thank God that oftentimes he places in a culture a witness to himself. I mean, that's been documented through history where, where in the culture's folklore or different things that there was a witness to God. But uh, there's, God's not the only one working through culture. There's somebody else working through culture who's trying to bring it to a place where if you follow the culture, you will never know about God ever. The gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction and there are many who enter through it. The gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life and there are few who find it. I was preaching that on a, on a vacation Bible school one time, uh, that verse, and uh, I had about 90 12-year-olds in a room. It was over at uh, KCC. Um, they bust in about 4,000 kids for their, their VBS and uh, I, got, I got the... Uh, they, they put them all in classrooms in the school, but I got the leftovers, the ones who were too old to be in the classroom. I got, so I got 90 12-year-olds, and this little kid, I'm reading this verse, and he looks at me, and he says, so are you saying that not many people are going to be saved? And the way he phrased the question was just profound. Are you saying that not many people are going to be saved? And I said, it struck me, because, I mean, you don't want to say that. You don't want to, you know, you want everybody to say, no, everybody's good. It's all going to be fine. He goes, are you saying not many people are going to be saved? And these words kind of came out of my mouth. It must have been God. It's like, it's not me saying that. Jesus said that. You know, if you go and you look around in the world today and go out in public places and look around, few people are walking that road that leads to life. Many are walking the road that leads to destruction. But Jesus brings us a new way to live. He brings us a new culture. He came and he taught us about the kingdom of God. And so he brought us a new way of living that is contrary to the world's way. Jesus comes and he says, if you want to increase, decrease. If you want to be promoted, humble yourself. If you want more, give more. If you want to be great, be a servant. If you want to find true life, lay your life down. Come on, this is inside out, upside down, and backwards from how the world does all this. Is it not? It's different. The habits that we've adopted from the culture, well, they need to be broken. New habits are going to need to be formed in their place. You know, We've learned so many things living in this world that sometimes we don't realize that the very things that we are doing habitually without thinking about them day to day are the very things that would keep us from making progress with God. Think about that. And the goal is to be like Jesus. That is the goal, to be like him. The goal of being a disciple is to be like your mentor, is it not? To learn what he could do, what he could do, to know what he knows, to know his ways and to understand his thoughts. Matthew chapter 10, verse 24, it says, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. It is enough for a disciple that he become like his teacher. The goal is for you to become like Jesus. It's enough for the disciple to be, that, to be like <laughs> the disciple that he become like his teacher and the slave like his master. And then if they called the head of the household Beelzebul, how much more will they malign the members of his household? So here's the deal. Uh, the goal is to become like Jesus, to talk like him, to think like him, and act like him. And if you do it right, you're going to get the same criticism <laughs> that he got. It's just going to come with the territory. But Jesus invites us to come and to learn from him. He wants to disciple us. He wants to show us his ways. He wants to teach us his thoughts, but we can't learn both ways of doing things at the same time. 
We're going to have to let go of one and commit to one. You know, Jesus came to actually rescue us from this present world. Peter preached it on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2. He said, be saved from this perverse generation. Paul quoted the Old Testament in his letter to the Corinthians, and he said, come out from their midst and be separate. James would write, friendship with the world is hostility to God. So whoever makes himself a friend, uh, wishes to be a friend of the world, makes himself an enemy of God. Jesus said, you unbelieving and perverted generation, how long do I have to put up with you? He's calling us out of the world, out of the culture, if you will, out of the ways of the world, into a discipleship relationship with him, where everything, we might be like that when we first get on. Because why? He has to unlearn how to ride the bike before he can even, at the same time, he's learning how to ride the new bike. And the kingdom is backwards. It's upside down. It's different. You know, whereas, you know, in the world, you'll, you'll do this and expect a certain reaction. You'll do something different in the kingdom for that same reaction. It's It's backwards. And it may take some time, but thank God he doesn't leave us. He invites us to come and yoke up together with him and learn his ways. I introduced this verse two weeks ago, Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 and 30, through 30. Come to me, he says, all who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He's calling us to come and yoke up to, you know, when we yoke up together with him, that means where he goes, I go. That's what it means. Where he turns, I turn. When he stops, I stop. When he goes, I go. I'm losing, I'm giving up my independent will to conform my will to him by yoking up together with him. That's what becoming a disciple is. Last Sunday, we had our baptism service, and uh, we, I read this verse from Matthew 28. It's the Great Commission, verse 18. Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. See, a disciple is one who obeys the commandments of Jesus. Not just knows them, not just, he says there was a difference between what? Knowledge and understanding, right? A disciple is not one who can just know what to do or see theoretically what to do, but knows actually how to ride the bike. That's what a disciple is. So he says, all authority has been given to me, so go and make all nations obedient to me. That's what a disciple is. So here's my question. How long should it take for us to become obedient? How long should it take for us to become obedient? See, one of the problems we face with the way we do Christianity today is that we've made this big, we've made obedience a lifelong process. You get what I'm saying? Okay, now obedience is a lifelong process in the fact that I'm supposed to be obedient now and continue in obedience for the rest of my life until I meet him, right? But when I come to God, it shouldn't take me a lifetime to become obedient. I'm supposed to become obedient right now and then continue in obedience. You with me? Because here's the thing. See, God is he's limitless. He's, he's infinite. He's endless. He's, he's, uh, he's, he's without limit. And so when we approach him and when we approach this book, you know, we rightly see this as an infinite source of wisdom and knowledge. The problem is when we take that idea 
that we're never going to understand everything God knows and we're never going to be able to understand all, you know, his wisdom and all that. When we take that and we apply it to obedience and we say, I can never be fully obedient, but that's not how the Bible sees it. It's kind of like this. We think there's a bunch of things right here that God's asking me to do. All these commands of God that I'm supposed to be obedient to. And, you know, right now I'm... I'm doing about 8%. I'm, I'm working at about 8% obedience, you know? One day, maybe I'll get as high as 20%, but I'm not sure what'll happen to me when I get 20% obedient. Not many people are 20% obedient, you know what I mean? And the ones who are 20% obedient, now they're crazy. <laughs> they call them weird. They call them culturally irrelevant. <laughs> no, but that's not, that's not the case at all. He demands 100% obedience right now. But how I grow in obedience is I grow in my knowledge and understanding of him. And as I grow in my knowledge and understanding, my obedience continues to be 100%, but I'm obeying more truth that I know. It's the same with your kids. I mean, I don't expect my four-year-old and my seven-year-old to know everything that I know or do everything that I do, but I do expect obedience, right? I don't even expect my four-year-old to do everything the seven-year-old does or knows, but I do expect obedience, and it's the same thing with God. I'm going to continue to teach them and continue to grow. And as they learn more, there'll be more things that they'll be obedient to. That's how you grow in obedience. You know, it's not impossible. I, I, don't ask, I don't ask the impossible things from my kids. I ask what's possible for them. And that's the same with God. He doesn't ask the impossible. He doesn't ask us to do anything that he's not there to help us through and empower us to do. Amen. Micah 6.8, he says, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Very simple, isn't it? See, it should not take decades for us to renew our minds. We're always learning. We're always going to learn. There's always more things. But it shouldn't take decades for us to start acting like Jesus. You know, I've been saying I've been trying to lose weight for years now. I'm not losing weight. So either what I'm doing is not working or I'm not serious about it. <laughs> and, and here's the tough part. I know exactly what to do because I've done it before. I've got to quit drinking those sugary drinks, man. <laughs> Soda's a sweet tea. That's it, man. That's the culprit. When I quit those, I'll be on the way. But I just don't want it that bad, I guess. I mean, let's be real. Are we following Jesus or are we not? I looked this up on the internet, so I know this is all true, Okay. It takes, 10 to 4, it takes 10 to 14 years to be a doctor. 10 to 14 years to be a doctor. It takes about 8 years to be a dentist. It takes about 7 to 9 to be a veterinarian. 4 to 5 years to be a plumber. It takes 2 to 4 years, depending on the program that you, you've registered, that you signed up for to be a registered nurse. Uh, to be a master welder takes about 1 to 2 years. And this one's scary. It only takes about 12 weeks to be a truck driver. So you... <laughs> might want to think twice before you go out there on the interstadium. But could you imagine going to school for 10, 20, 30 years and never advancing in your area of study? Could you imagine going to school for 10, 20, 30 years and still not knowing anything about medicine or truck driving or welding? It'd be a failure, wouldn't it? So why is that okay in our walk with God? Why are we rewarded for saying that we want to become godly? 
although we don't do the things that we know will make us like him. See, we should be seeing continual progress, continuous progress in our walk with God. The disciples changed the world after being with Jesus for three years. Three years. They had to unlearn their old ways and learn his ways walking with him for three years. What should your life look like three years from today? And the big question, and this is the hard one, what are we going to do to get there? In Hebrews chapter 5, I'm going to close with this verse. I think, yeah, I'm going to close with this verse. So let me, um, Bruce, if you don't mind, um, come up and just kind of be ready to play something on the piano. It says, Hebrews 5 and uh, verse 11, it says, concerning him, the author here is talking about Melchizedek from the Old Testament, and he's, he's going on, so we're picking up in the middle of the, um, of the flow here. And he says, concerning him, we have much to say, and it's hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. <laughs> for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and have come to need milk and not solid food. See, the author, he's not saying, I don't know it, or, or I don't have it figured out, or I can't explain it. He's saying, I can explain it. I can, I can tell you, but you're dull of hearing. You can't hear it. You can't understand it. You're going backwards. You should be progressing because you've, you've been walking this life long enough. You should be teachers yourself. But you've become as people who need to be taught all over again the basics of God. Man, that should not be our, that should not be our life. We should be, I mean, if we've been walking with God for a year, we should be so much better, so much farther along. I don't mean like better. I mean, you know what I mean? Farther along, right? You know, if we've been walking with God for 10 years, 20 years, what should our lives look like? They should be a, just a testimony of grace and see the fingerprints of God all over everything we do. And I, I can't even tell you everything that that looks like. But God is so vast and so rich, you, you can't walk with him that closely and not have it affect your life. He says, For everyone who partakes of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice, because of practice, Right? I think the King James Bible says, by reason of use. In other words, you're doing something. Practice. They have their senses trained to discern good and evil. See, so those who are eating solid food, those who are mature, are actually practicing this life. That's what puts you... Well, you're, you're actually riding the bike, not just talking about riding the bike. Do you get what I'm saying? You can jump on that kingdom bike, if you will, get the illustration, and you can demonstrate the kingdom of God. You can live it out in front of people. Through practice, have trained their sentences to discern good and evil. You've trained yourself to know the will of God. So here's my question. What area, is Kaylee, is Kaylee in the back? Yeah, okay. Well, Bruce will play something and this will be fine. Um, what area, and here's my question, what area in your life is God asking you to turn over to him that you've been resistant what area is he saying i want obedience in this area i want you to become obedient 
is today, today is a good day to go ahead and turn that leaf, turn that page, and just bring yourself back into the yoke with him and go his way, because it'll be better. Don't take forever to become obedient. Do it now. Do it as an act of training yourself. Do it on purpose. Just like you would, you know, go and learn a new thing, learn a new skill, go to that lesson or go and go for that walk or that exercise, whatever. Do it the same way. Train yourself. I had this friend um, who I interned with in New York City when I was there and uh, I stayed friends with uh, several people up there and friends with the ministry. So I would go back every year for, for the next several years. And uh, so when we were interns, we didn't have a lot of freedom. We couldn't do much. But when we went back, it was kind of fun because we could go and <laughs> I'd bring my own car and we could go and do whatever we wanted to do. It was great. And uh, I remember this, this, this uh, girl who was up there and uh, we were talking one time. And she, she said, uh, I just can't forgive my father. I know I need to. I'm, I'm going to forgive. I should have saved this for Father's Day. What am I thinking? No. But she said, I, I know I need to. Uh, I'm going to forgive him, but I, I just can't right now. And I just looked at her and I said, you know, I understand that. You got to work through things. You got to pray through them. But I said, don't take forever. Don't let this be the thing that's going to define the rest of your life forever. God's telling you to forgive him. You know that. You've admitted it to me. I didn't say all that, but that's the gist of it. You know what God's called you to do. You know that one day you're, you plan on becoming obedient to what he told you to do. Let's not let it take forever. Let's step into that right now. Let's jump in with both feet. Amen?